Well, today we are beginning a new series of messages called Freedom, and I thought that as we are approaching our nation's Independence Day, that it'd be good for the next several weeks to talk about freedom. But I wanted to also uh, focus in, obviously this is Father's Day today, so I wanted to talk about uh, fathers as well. And if you have your Bible today, we're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse number 12. And so if you want to get a head start, you can turn there. And you might have noticed that the, the title of the message is, is kind of interesting, or at least it was for me. And that is that whenever we have a relationship with God, that we have the freedom not to be good. Now, I know that seems sort of, uh, you probably thought, well, I never thought I'd hear, hear a preacher say something like that. But whenever we look at the text today, we're going to see that there's really great freedom that comes whenever we are not putting all the pressure upon ourselves in order to be good, you know, to be good people. And I think this is a trap that a lot of us fall into, especially, especially dads. I, I think as dads, we think, well, if I'm just a good guy, if I provide, do some good things like that, then everything's going to work out then everything's going to be fine with my family, and I don't have to worry about anything. But what I am discovering, especially whenever I read in our text today, is, is that good, when it comes down to it, is just very simply, in the eyes of God, it's not going to be good enough. And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see the Apostle Paul taking this myth this idea that if I'm good, that everything's going to work out for me. What he does is he takes that like it's a piece of paper, he crumples it up, and he throws it out. And he says, hey, listen, y'all, good, good is not as good as you think. And so he shares with us where we actually find freedom as men, as women, as Christians. He lets us know that it's not found in being good, but instead it is found in Jesus. And so that's why we're going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today. And uh, if you look there, you'll know one thing that you'll know as well. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians, you'll know that one thing Paul said about the Corinthian church, he said these people, they were a gifted people. So when they have everything going for them, they're sharp, all these different things, but they knew it. And so they kind of, you know, they kind of got proud of themselves. And, and before long, they got jealous of each other. They began to fight with one another. And so Paul, when he wrote 1 Corinthians, which is one of my favorite books in the Bible, because uh, it's, it's fun to preach through, because what Paul does in 1 Corinthians is he just, I mean, he puts the hammer down on the people. And, and I like preaching through it because I'm, it gives me a chance to get, get gripey and stuff and, and say, hey, listen, it's not my problem. Paul is one who wrote this book, and so I'm just saying what Paul said. Now, Paul put the hammer down on the people, and he said, listen, you guys are focusing on being good and doing all these good things, and he said it's made you susceptible to false teaching. And some of the false teaching that was going around was by the religious leaders. And they're saying, if you're good, you can earn your way into God's good favor. If you're good, then God is going to bless you and you're going to be able to earn your way into heaven. And it's, where, it's here where Paul, he, he pops the, the bubble on the myth of being good. So I just want to share with you, and especially guys, just a few things that you need to know about being good enough. And this is the very first thing that we all need to know, and that's this. Being good is overrated. Okay, now you might like hearing that. I knew it. I knew that a long time ago. But being good, according to Scripture, being good is overrated. Now, I want you to look with me in verse number 12. This is kind of a strange passage of Scripture, and I hope that by the time you leave, it won't be stranger to you. I hope that you'll understand it a little bit. So verse number 12, it says, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. 
not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel could not look at the end of what was fading away. Okay, that's, that's clear as mud right there. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that in just a few moments. But before we get there, um, I have heard it said that a great way to train dogs, and I'm not very good with dogs, I don't know how to train them, but a great way to train dogs is that if you get them to, be, to get them to be obedient to you, you give them a treat. Okay, so you know, if, you, if your dog sits, then you, you, know, you go over and you pat him on the head and, and you give him a treat. Or if, he, if you tell him to stay and the dog stays, uh, then you give him a treat. And the idea is that you're trying to teach your dog to be obedient to you because whenever he's obedient, he's going to end up getting a treat. So that sounds like a really good, a really good thing. Now, here's what a lot of us have done. We, we use that same concept with God. We, we think that we're the dog and that God is the treat giver. And so if I, if I do good things, then what God's going to do, he's going to come over and say, hey, good job, and he's going to give you a little treat. And, and we carry that. So if I, do, if I do more good things than bad things, then that means that God is going to give me the treat of heaven, you know, because I have done such a good job. Now, on the, on the surface, this kind of thinking makes sense to me. You know, if you do good, you do good things, you should get you should get a reward for it, right? I mean, that's what you sort of think. You know, if I do something good, then people are going to be pleased and somebody's going to pat me on the head. I mean, Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, he said, you will keep my commandments. And then we want to add a little extra onto that. You keep my commandments and I'm going to give you a treat for, for being so good. And so that sounds good to me. That makes sense to me. But Paul, in our text, he, he pops he pops the balloon on this whole idea that being good is good enough. And so that's where we get into this kind of strange little uh, passage of Scripture here in verses 12 and 13. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he talked about Moses pulling a veil over his face so that the Israelites couldn't see the end of what was fading away. Now, any of y'all know what, that, what that's referring to? Yeah, y'all are, y'all are ahead, of me, ahead of me here. So Scott, come on up. You can just finish up the sermon. Yeah, so Scott knows. All right, now, I, when I read it, I, I wasn't sure. So I looked it up. It's an ex, if you want to look it up, it's Exodus chapter 34. And here's the background to the story. The uh, background to the story here about Moses putting a veil over his face is you might remember that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And so he told, he told Moses, he said, come up to Mount Sinai. And y'all, y'all remember this? Remember this from Charlton Heston? And so Charlton Heston walks up Mount Sinai, and he comes, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. But he's in the presence of God. And as he's in the presence of God, God's, you, know, you cannot come into contact with God and be the same. Whenever you come into the presence of God, it will change you. Now, physically, that happened to Moses. Moses was in the midst of God's glory, and God's glory began to shine on him, and, and it sort of like stuck on Moses. So Moses comes down the mountain, and his face, the Bible says his face was glowing. And so what did Moses do? He put a veil over his face. Now, I always thought whenever he did that, he did that because that was going to scare everybody. I mean, can you imagine seeing somebody whose head is lit up like a light bulb? And he comes down, and so, okay, don't want to scare everybody. That's not why he did it. He put the veil over his face because the, the glory of God began to fade from him. And he did not want the people thinking, does that mean that God's presence is leaving us? Does that mean that God's glory is fading away from us? See, Paul, Paul put a theological twist on this, and he said what was happening is God had given the people the law, which is also known as the Old Covenant. 
And the law, if you look in the Bible, the very first five books of the Bible are known as the Torah, the law. And they were given to the people by God in order to know what the rules were, to know how to live, to know what the standards were. And so what happened is the people began to live their lives by the law, thinking, if I'm good enough, then God will accept me. And that makes a whole lot of sense. But the thing is, we see that 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 glory, that covenant in Moses' face, it began to fade away because there was a new covenant that needed to come. And that new covenant that needed to come was a covenant that would bring freedom because people can't keep the law. Did you know that? Now you might say, well, I keep it pretty good. No, you don't. I know y'all. You're just like me. Now, you might say, I've kept it really well. Now, you might keep it really well, but let me tell you something. If you mess up at just one point of it, that's not good enough. Being good is not good enough. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking it all. And so then here's my question. Well, if that's true, then why in the world did God give us a law that we can't keep? Have you all ever wondered that before? Yeah, I have. Thinking, you know, God, why do you make rules for us that you know that we're not going to be able to keep? Well, I mean, can, can you imagine? Now, here's the good thing about rules. Rules give us something to shoot for, right? That they give us a standard. Can you imagine living, can you imagine living in South Carolina if they did not have traffic laws? Now, I know that you know, everybody in here is a good driver, I'm sure. But the rest of this, the worst drivers in the world. Can you imagine what it would be like driving around here if there were no traffic laws? Can you imagine if in our, in our culture, in our nation today, if there were no laws against murder or against stealing? It would be complete chaos. So we have laws that give us a standard for us to shoot for, but it also creates order. But, but even though we have laws, isn't it amazing how every day laws are broken? They're broken all of the time. Now, so if you want to live according to the law to make yourself right with God, then you have to live perfectly. But you and I can't do it. The Bible's very clear about this. Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Because there's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Okay, so if you want to live by doing good, you're going to get busted by it. Because you can't live according to the law. That's why there needed to be a new covenant. So what's the new covenant? That's when Jesus came. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and fulfilled the law for us. So that when we follow him and entrust our lives to him, then his righteousness is credited to our account. But we have to trust him. And a lot of us get nervous about trusting somebody other than ourselves. But we don't have to worry about Jesus because Jesus is perfect. Jesus fills in the gap for us. Yeah, I read about a probably one of the most prestigious awards that an athlete can win is called the uh, Pierre Coubertin Award. It's, uh, for, it's, called, it's got a pretty lofty title. It's for the Nobility of Spirit Award. And so that means being really good. And so the, the first person to ever win this award was a guy named Eugenio Monti. Uh, it was in the 1964 Winter Olympics. And his team had just made their, he's on a two-man bobsled team. They had made their final run. They were in first place. There's only one team that could beat them out for the gold medal. It was the, uh, the, the team from Great Britain. 
as they were getting ready to do their race, the sled for the team from Great Britain, it broke. There was a bolt that broke, and so there's no way they're going to be able to run, and so Italy was going to win the gold medal. But Eugenio Monti, who was on that team, he, he didn't think that was right, and he said, that team needs to run. It's not fair. And he said, we have an extra bolt. They can borrow ours. So he gave it to them. Okay, now I'm getting ready to tell you why I would never do anything like this. He gave them the bolt. They put it in their sled. The British team broke the world record and ended up winning the gold medal. And I'm sitting there going, what suckers? Now, so they gave him the bowl. So, now, but here's the deal. The, the team from Britain would have never won. They could have never competed had it not been for Eugenio Monti stepping in and rescuing them. Y'all, that is exactly what the New Covenant does for us. He's, on our own, if we're, if we're trying to live by being good, if you're, men, if you're trying to live by being good, you're not going to make it. You're never even going to be able to compete. But what, what has happened, according to scriptures, that Jesus has stepped in and he has given us the opportunity to have life because he's already fulfilled the law. So, so whenever we talk about being good, if you're banking your life on being good, I want you to understand this. Being good, it is overrated because it doesn't work. But, here, but here's the second thing that I want you to know about being good. Being good, when you, when you say, I'm going to be good, you are settling for second best. When you say, I'm going to be good, you're settling for second best. Let me read to you verses 14 and 15. It says, but their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It's not lifted because it's set aside only in Christ. However, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Did you know that it's possible to go after good things and it will cause you to miss out on the best? On verse number 14, it says that the people, their minds were closed. That word mind, it's speaking of the intellect. When it says their minds, their intellect was closed off. The word closed, it means to be callous, to be hardened, to be blinded. Uh, what, was, what were their minds close to? Their minds were so intent on being good that they missed out on the Savior. You see, their focus, the people during this day, their focus was we've got to be good. We've got to follow in this book the rules and the regulations. But what happened is they were trying to follow all the rules and the regulations is they missed out on the fact that the rules and regulations were simply pointing out to them that they needed a savior. Uh, there, there's a lot of different uh, translations of the Bible or versions of the Bible. And one of the translations I like is called the message. It's more in vernacular English and it speaks to this. I think it explains it pretty well. In Galatians 3.24 it says the law was like those Greek tutors with whom you are familiar who escort children to school and protect them from danger or distraction making sure the children will really get to the place they set out for. Okay, now using that verse as an illustration, what happened to many of the religious leaders of the day, see, the law was to be like a teacher that was pointing people to a Savior. So what happened is the students fell in love, instead of with the Savior, they fell in love with the teacher. They began, they said, if we're going to make, make God's good graces, make it into God's good graces, we have to be good. We have to follow all the rules and regulations. But they missed out on the fact that the law was given to point out to us that we need a Savior. Now, is the law a bad thing? Well, that's not a bad thing. There's a lot of good things about the law. If you, if you look in the, the, even the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments have some great things. It, it tells us that we are not to kill people. You all for that? I mean, I'm like, hey, that's a good law. I like that. 
Uh, the, the Ten Commandments tells us that we are not to steal. I'm all for that. That's a good thing. Let me tell you something. That is not, do, doing those things, following those things is not going to make me right before God because I have to keep all of the law all of the time and I can't do it and neither can you. And so if we're going to, if we're going to make sure that we're right with God, then, then we need to understand, we need to reprioritize. Am I going to go after that which is good or am I going to go after the best? I'll try to give you an example. You know, garage sales, I don't know how many of y'all are garage sale people. I am not. But a lot of people love garage sales. And they, they're usually not you know, newsworthy stories. Um, you know, people don't buy newsworthy things at most garage sales. But it actually happened. Um, there was a big story about one garage sale in particular. Uh, a guy had bought a particular piece of uh, pottery. In t- it was, he bought it back in 2007, but it made the news in 2013. In 2007, he and his wife are out, and they're just kind of going through neighborhoods, you know, like people do. And they're looking for stuff, and he found this little bowl. And he thought, that's a really pretty bowl. He bought it for $3. So he took it home, and he set it on the fireplace, uh, the mantle above his fireplace. Didn't think anything about it. Had a friend come over, saw it, and said, hey, that's a really, that looks interesting. He said, you need to get somebody to take a look at that. So, you know, he, he does. He takes it to um, uh, somebody to, to um, whatever you call it, appraise it, thank you very much, to appraise it. And so they're looking at it, and they said, uh, this little bowl you bought, they said it's um, from the Song Dynasty in China. It's over a thousand years old. How much did you buy it for? I bought it for $3. He said, I think this thing's worth at least $200,000. Guy gets real excited about it, so he ends up taking it to Sotheby's. And, is that how you say it? Sotheby's. And he takes it there in order to uh, put it on the auction. It gets auctioned off for $2 million. Okay, now my first thought is not, gosh, how lucky is that guy? My first thought is, who is the moron that sold it for three bucks? Isn't that amazing? Sold it for three dollars. It's worth over two million. How in the world could that happen? Real simple. The guy did not know the value of what he had. And I sit there and I think, that guy has probably just jumped off, he's, he's already jumped off of a building. All right, but, but here's the thing. We all do that. Do you know that? Not, obviously not with a bowl like that. But you know, we all end up settling for second best in a lot of different areas in our life. And I can give you some examples. I, and I've seen this. I'm sure you have too. I've seen, I've seen marriages that have been destroyed. Remember, marriage was created by God, instituted by God. But I've seen people whose marriages have been destroyed because one person or another sacrifice that which God has ordained in order to physically please themselves with someone else. I've seen it time and time again. I've seen people who have lost their families because they were seeking after something that was good. They wanted to do well in work. They wanted to be successful, but they sacrificed the best, their family, for something that was good. Now, that's the thing about being good. Y'all, being good is settling for second best. And so we have a decision to make. Are we going to settle for good or are we going to settle for best? Are we going to settle for being good or are we going to settle for Jesus? So so what do we need to know about being good? It's overrated. Another thing to know about being good is it's, it's settling for second best. There's good and there's that which is best. And that's the final thing to know about being good. Being good is topped by being in Jesus. It's the best place to be. 
Being good is taught by being in Jesus. I'm going to read the final verses here, verse 16. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, it says the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, now being good is a good thing, but it's not enough. Being good is a good thing, but it's never going to be enough because you have to be and I have to be good all the time and you and I can't carry that kind of weight that's why I like verse number 16 verse 16 tells us when the person turns to the Lord the veil is removed the veil now if you have a veil over your face can you see very well no when you take the veil off what happens you're you're able to see whenever you take the veil off not only you're able to see but when you take the veil off and you are standing with God and and trusting your life to him then God's, God's glory is going to shine on you. When the veil's over you, it can't shine on you because you're in the shade. But whenever the veil is off, God is shining on you, and guys, you're going to reflect the glory of the Lord. You know, I don't know how many of y'all looked at the moon last night. Most of the time, we don't even notice the moon. Really, probably, I'd say for most of us, the most of the time when we notice the moon is when it's a full moon, right? Because it's big, and it's shining. Did you, you know, and you know this. The moon on its own does not produce any light. The only reason why it produces light is because it is reflecting the light from the sun. Right? Now, it's interesting. You can't look, at the, you can't look at directly into the sun for a long period of time without it damaging your eyes. But you can look at the moon all day long, and it won't hurt your eyes. I think it's a pretty good image of God and him reflecting off of us. The Bible says that we cannot come into the prayer. You cannot look on the face of God and live. And so God knows that. And so what he does is he lets his glory shine on his people so that we reflect to the people around us the light of Jesus. Now, you know, we live in a world of darkness. Would you all agree with me? Do you think the world's dark? I mean, you just, you watch the news right now. Y'all, I have, I've almost completely quit watching the news. I've, I've cheated a little bit, and I've watched like five or ten minutes every once in a while at night. I just pretty much go watch it. Yeah, it's the world, and I don't, I don't want to put my head in the sand, but the world is dark. And I really believe this. I believe people are looking for light. They're looking for, uh, for just something that's going to allow them to see where to go, what to do. And did you know that as believers, that's our job. Our job is to reflect the goodness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus to people around us so that they will be able to see. Because if we are not reflecting Jesus, the world's going to still be in darkness. And the world's not going to be able to find their way. And too many people are going to be trying to make themselves right by being good. And good is not good, good enough. It's not going to get you where you want to go. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For you were saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, not by your goodness, lest any man should boast. Striving for the best will involve you and me entrusting our lives to Jesus. And as you do that, he will do a transforming work in your life. So, so what does all this mean? What, what does this have to say about being good? Good, being good is overrated. Being good is settling for second best, and being good is topped by being 
in Jesus. So the big question for us today is, are you and I ready to go after that which is best? Best. Y'all struggle with it. Because I think, I just got to be good. Y'all, my good is not good enough. Neither is your good. You and I, men, we need Jesus. And here's one thing I know. I know our kids, fathers, our kids are very smart. And here's what's really scary when you start realizing that. When you realize my, ki- they, my kids, your kids, they know who you really are. They know your strengths, but let me tell you something, they know your weaknesses. They know your sin. And that's scary. And I think, I can hide all that if I'm just really good. Let me tell you something. I can be good for about 30 minutes, but then the old devil is ready to crawl out of me. You know what I need? I need Jesus. And so do you. And men, whenever we understand we are weak and our children, they already know it. But when they understand that we are trusting in a Savior who heals and redeems, we are giving the glory to Jesus, letting our kids know, I can't do anything about it, but Jesus can. Our kids need to know that. Settling for good? Are you ready to go after the best? Go after Jesus. Heavenly Father, I am, I am grateful for your mercy and your grace. And Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that you give us the freedom not to be good. Lord, you have taken care of that yourself. 